one part two of dear brutus by j m barry this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. he rolls on a chair kicking out his legs in an ecstasy of satisfaction but the ladies are not certain that he is the little innocent they have hitherto thought him the advent of mr code and mr purdy presently adds to their misgivings mr code is old a sweet pippin of a man with a gentle smile for all he must have suffered much you conclude incorrectly to acquire that tolerant smile sometimes as when he sees other people at work a wistful look takes the place of the smile, and Mr. Code fidgets like one who would be elsewhere. Then there rises before his eyes the room called the study in his house, whose walls are lined with boxes marked A, B, C to Z, and A2, B2, C2 to K2. These contain dusty notes for his great work on the feudal system, the notes many years old, the work, strictly speaking, not yet begun. He still speaks at times of finishing it, but never of beginning it. He knows that in more favourable circumstances, for instance, if he had been a poor man instead of pleasantly well-to-do, he could have flung himself avidly into that noble undertaking. But he does not allow his secret sorrow to embitter him. Or darken the house quickly the vision passes and he is again his bright self idleness he says in his game way has its recompenses it is charming now to see how he at once crosses to his wife solicitous for her comfort he is bearing down on her with a footstool when mr purdy comes from the dining-room he is the most brilliant of our company recently notable in debate at oxford where he was runner-up for the presidentship of the union and only lost it because the other man was less brilliant since then he has gone to the bar on monday married on tuesday and had a brief on wednesday beneath his brilliance and making charming company for himself he is aware of intellectual powers beyond his years as we are about to see he has made one mistake in his life which he is bravely facing is my husband still sampling the port mr purdy purdy with a disarming smile for the absent dearth do you know i believe he is do the ladies like our proposal code i have not told them of it yet the fact is I am afraid that it might tire my wife too much. Do you feel equal to a little exertion tonight, Cody? Or is your foot troubling you? Mrs. Code, the kind creature. I have been resting it, Cody. Code, propping it on the footstool. There. Is that more comfortable? Presently, dear, if you are agreeable. We are all going out for a walk. Mrs. Code, quoting Matey.
the garden is all right purdy with jocular solemnity ah but it is not to be the garden we are going farther afield we have an adventure for tonight get thick shoes and a wrap mrs dearth all of you lady caroline with but languid interest <laughs> where do you propose to take us to find a mysterious wood with the word wood the ladies are blown upright their eyes turn to lob who however has never looked more innocent are you being funny mr purdy you know quite well that there are not any trees for miles around you have said yourself that it is the one blot on the landscape code almost as great a humorist as purdy ah on ordinary occasions but allow us to point out to you miss joanna that this is midsummer eve lob again comes sharply under female observation tell them what you told us lob lob with a pout for the credulous it is all nonsense of course just foolish talk of the villagers they say that on midsummer's eve there's a strange wood in this part of the country alice lowering where ah that is one of its most charming features it is never twice in the same place apparently it has been seen on different parts of the downs and on more common once it was close to radley village and another time at about a mile from the sea oh a sporting wood and lob is anxious that we should all go and look for it not he lob is the only skeptic in the house says it is all rubbish and that we shall be sillies if we go but we believe eh purdy purdy waggishly rather lob the artful just wasting the evening let us have a round game at cards here instead purdy grandly no sir i am going to find that wood what is the good of it when it is found we shall wander in it deliciously listening to a new sort of bird called the philomel lob is behaving in the most exemplary manner making sweet little clucking sounds joanna doubtfully shall we keep together mr purdy no we must hunt in pairs joanna converted i think it would be rather fun come on cody i'll lace your boots for you i am sure your poor foot will carry you nicely miss trout wait a moment lob has this wonderful wood any special properties pooh there's no wood you've never seen it not i i don't believe in it have any of the villagers ever been in it lob dreamily so it is said so it is said what did they say were their experiences 
That isn't known. They never came back. Joanna, promptly resuming her seat. Never came back? Absurd, of course. You see, in the morning the wood was gone, and so they were gone, too. He clucks again. I don't think I like this wood. It certainly is Midsummer Eve. Code. Remembering that women are not yet civilized. Of course. If you ladies are against it, we will drop the idea. It was only a bit of fun. Alice, with a malicious eye on Lob. Yes, better give it up, to please Lob. Oh, all right, Lob. What about that round of cards? The proposal meets with approval. Lob, bursting into tears. I wanted you to go. I had set my heart on your going. It is the thing I wanted, and it isn't good for me not to get the thing I want. He creeps under the table and threatens the hands that would draw him out. Good gracious, he has wanted it all the time. You wicked lob. Now you see there is something in it. Nonsense, Mrs. Durth. It was only a joke. Mabel, melting. Don't cry, Lobby. Nobody cares for me. Nobody loves me. And I need to be loved. Several of them are on their knees to him. Yes, we do. We all love you. Nice, nice, Lobby. Dear Lob, I am so fond of you. Dry his eyes with my own handkerchief. He holds up his eyes, but is otherwise inconsolable. Don't pamper him. Lob furiously. I need to be pampered. You funny little man. Let us go at once and look for his wood. All feel that thus alone can his tears be dried. Boots and cloaks, hats forward. Come on, Lady Caroline, just to show you are not afraid of Matey. There is a general exodus, and Lob, left alone, emerges from his temporary retirement. He clucks victoriously, but is presently on his knees again, distressfully regarding some flowers that have fallen from their bowl. Poor bruised one. It was I who hurt you. Lob is so sorry. Lie there. To another. Pretty, pretty, let me see where you have a pain. You fell on your head? Is this the place? Now I make it better. Oh, little rascal, you're not hurt at all. You just pretend. Oh, dear, oh, dear, sweetheart, don't cry. You are now prettier than ever. You are too tall. Oh, how beautifully you smell, now that you're small. He replaces the wounded, tenderly, in their bowl. Rink, drink, now you're happy again. The little rascal smiles. All smile, please, nod heads. Ha 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 ha! You love Lob. 
Lob loves you. Joanna and Mr. Purdy stroll in by the window. What were you saying to them, Lob? I was saying two's company, three's none. He departs with a final cluck. That man, he suspects. This is a very different Joanna from the one who has so far flitted across our scene. It is also a different Purdy. In company, they seldom look at each other, though when the one does so, the eyes of the other magnetically respond. We have seen them trivial, almost cynical, but now we are to greet them as they know they really are, the great strong-hearted man and his natural mate, in the grip of the master passion. For the moment, Lob's words have unnerved Joanna, and it is John Purdy's dear privilege to soothe her. No one minds Lob, my dear, oh, my dear. Joanna, faltering. Yes, but he saw you kiss my hand. Jack, if Mabel were to suspect. Purdy, happily. There is nothing for her to suspect. Joanna, eagerly. No, there isn't, is there? She is desirous ever to be without a flaw. Jack, I am not doing anything wrong, am I? You? With an adorable gesture, she gives him one of her hands, and manlike, he takes the other also. Mabel is your wife, Jack. I should so hate myself if I did anything that was disloyal to her. Purdy, pressing her hand to her eyes as if counting them, in the strange manner of lovers. Those eyes could never be disloyal, my lady of the nut-brown eyes. He holds her from him, surveying her, and is scorched in the flame of her femininity. Oh, the sveltness of you! Almost with reproach. Joanna, why are you so svelte? For his sake, she would be less svelte if she could. But she can't. She admits her failure with eyes grown still larger, and he envelops her so that he may not see her. Thus men seek safety. Joanna, while out of sight. All I want is to help her and you. I know. How well I know. My dear brave love. I am very fond of Mabel, Jack. I should like to be the best friend she has in the world. You are, dearest. No woman ever had a better friend. And yet I don't think she really likes me. I wonder why. Purdy, who is the bigger-brained of the two? It is just that Mabel doesn't understand. Nothing could make me say a word against my wife. Joanna, sternly. I wouldn't listen to you if you did. I love you all the more, dear, for saying that. But Mabel is a cold nature, and she doesn't understand. Joanna, 
thinking never of herself, but only of him. She doesn't appreciate your finer qualities. Purdy, ruminating. That's it. But of course I am difficult. I always was a strange, strange creature. I often think, Joanna, that I am rather like a flower that has never had the sun to shine on it, nor the rain to water it. You break my heart. Purdy, with considerable enjoyment. I suppose there is no more lonely man than I walking the earth today. Joanna, beating her wings. It is so mournful. It is the thought of you that sustains me, elevates me. You shine high above me like a star. No, no, I wish I was wonderful, but I am not. You have made me a better man, Joanna. I am so proud to think that. You have made me kinder to Mabel. I'm sure you are always kind to her. Yes, I hope so. But I think now special little ways of giving her pleasure. That never-to-be-forgotten day when we first met, you and I? Joanna, fluttering nearer to him. That tragic, lovely day by the weir. Oh, Jack! Do you know how in gratitude I spent the rest of that day? Joanna, crooning. Tell me. I read to Mabel aloud for an hour. I did it out of kindness to her, because I had met you. It was dear of you. Do you remember that first time my arms? Your waist? You are so fluid, Joanna. Passionately. Why are you so fluid? Joanna, downcast. I can't help it, Jack. I gave her a ruby bracelet for that. It is a gem. You have given that lucky woman many lovely things. It is my invariable custom to go straight off and buy Mabel something whenever you have been sympathetic to me. Those new earrings of hers? They are in memory of the first day you called me Jack. Her peguin gown? The one with the beads? was because you let me kiss you. I didn't exactly let you. No, but you have such a dear way of giving in. Jack, she hasn't worn that gown of late. No, nor the jewels. I think she has some sort of idea now that when I give her anything nice, it means that you have been nice to me. She has a rather suspicious nature, Mabel. She never used to have it, but it seems to be growing on her. I wonder why. I wonder why. In this wonder, which is shared by Joanna, their lips meet, and Mabel, who has been about to enter from the garden, quietly retires. Was that anyone in the garden? Purdy, returning from a quest. There is no one there now. I am sure I heard someone. If it was Mabel. With a perspicacity, 
that comes of knowledge of her sex. Jack, if she saw us, she will think you were kissing me. These fears are confirmed by the rather odd bearing of Mabel, who now joins their select party. Mabel, apologetically. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Jack, but please wait a moment before you kiss her again. Excuse me, Joanna. She quietly draws the curtains, thus shutting out the garden and any possible onlooker. I did not want the others to see you. They might not understand how noble you are, Jack. You can go on now. Having thus passed the time of day with them, she withdraws by the door, leaving Jack bewildered and Joanna knowing all about it. How extraordinary! Of all the... Oh, but how contemptible! She sweeps to the door and calls to Mabel by name. Mabel, returning with promptitude. Did you call me Joanna? Joanna, guardedly. I insist on an explanation. With creditable hauteur. What were you doing in the garden, Mabel? Mabel, who has not been so quiet all day. I was looking for something I have lost. Purdy, hope springing eternal. Anything important? I used to fancy it, Jack. It is my husband's love. You don't happen to have picked it up, Joanna? If so, and you don't set great store by it, I should like it back. The pieces, I mean. Mr. Purdy is about to reply to this, when Joanna rather wisely fills the breach. Mabel, I, I will not be talked to in that way, to imply that I, that your husband, oh, shame. Purdy, finally. I must say, Mabel, that I am a little disappointed in you. I certainly understood that you had gone upstairs to put on your boots. Poor old Jack. She muses. A woman like that. Joanna, changing her comment in the moment of utterance. I forgive you, Mabel. You will be sorry for this afterwards. Purdy, warningly, but still reluctant to think less well of his wife. Not a word against Joanna, Mabel. If you knew how nobly she has spoken of you. Joanna, imprudently. She does know she has been listening. There is a moment's danger of the scene degenerating into something mid-Victorian. Fortunately, a chivalrous man is present to lift it to a higher plane. John Purdy is one to whom subterfuge of any kind is abhorrent. If he has not spoken out before, it is because of his reluctance to give Mabel pain. He speaks out now and seldom, probably, has he proved himself more worthy. This is a man's business. I must be open with you now, Mabel. It is the manlier way. If you wish it, I shall always be true to you in word and deed. It is your right. 
but I cannot pretend that Joanna is not the one woman in the world for me. If I had met her before you, it's kismet, I suppose. He swells. Joanna, from a chair. Too late, too late. Mabel, although the woman has seen him swell. I suppose you never knew what true love was till you met her, Jack. You forced me to say it. Joanna and I are as one person. We have not a thought at variance. We are one rather than two. Mabel, looking at Joanna. Yes, and that's the one. With the cheapest sarcasm. I am so sorry to have marred your lives. If any blame there is, it is all mine. She is as spotless as the driven snow. The moment I mentioned love to her, she told me to desist. Not she. So you were listening. The obtuseness of Mabel is very strange to her. Mabel, don't you see how splendid he is? Not quite, Joanna. She goes away. She is really a better woman than this, but never capable of scaling that higher plane to which he has, as it were, offered her a hand. How lovely of you, Jack, to take it all upon yourself. Purdy, simply. It is the man's privilege. Mabel has such a horrid way of seeming to put people in the wrong. Have you noticed that? Poor Mabel. It is not an enviable quality. Joanna, despondently. I don't think I care to go out now. She has spoilt it all. She has taken the innocence out of it, Jack. Purdy, a rock. We must be brave and not mind her. Ah, Joanna, if we had met in time, if only I could begin again, to be battered forever just because I once took the wrong turning. It isn't fair. Joanna, emerging from his arms. The wrong turning? Now who was saying that a moment ago? About himself? Why, it was Matey. A footstep is heard. Purdy, for the first time losing patience with his wife. Is that her coming back again? It's too bad. But the intruder is Mrs. Durth, and he greets her with relief. Ah, it is you, Mrs. Durth. Yes, it is, but thank you for telling me, Mr. Purdy. I don't intrude, do I? Joanna, descending to the lower plane, on which even goddesses snap. Why should you? Rather not. We were hoping it would be you. We want to start on the walk. I can't think what has become of the others. We have been looking for them everywhere. He glances vaguely round the room, as if they might, so far, have escaped detection. Alice, pleasantly. 
"'Well, do go on looking. Under that flower-pot would be a good place. It is my husband I am in search of.' Purdy, who likes her best, when they are in different rooms. "'Shall I route him out for you?' "'How too unutterably kind of you, Mr. Purdy. I hate to trouble you, but it would be the sort of service one never forgets.' "'You know, I believe you are chaffing me.' "'No, no, I am incapable of that.' I won't be a moment. Miss Trout and I will await your return with ill-concealed impatience. They awaited across a table, the newcomer in a reverie, and Joanna watching her. Presently Mrs. Dearth looks up, and we may notice that she has an attractive screw of the mouth, which denotes humour. Yes, I suppose you are right. I dare say I am. Joanna puzzled i didn't say anything i thought i heard you say that hateful dearth woman coming butting in where she is not wanted joanna draws up her svelte figure but a screw of one mouth often calls for a similar demonstration from another and both ladies smile they nearly become friends you certainly have good ears alice drawling yes they have always been rather admired joanna snapping by the painters for whom you sat when you were an artist's model alice measuring her so that has leaked out has it joanna ashamed i shouldn't have said that alice their brief friendship over do you think I care whether you know or not? Joanna, making an effort to be good. I'm sure you don't. Still, it was cattish of me. It was. Joanna, in flame. I don't see it. Mrs. Dearth laughs and forgets her. And with the entrance of a man from the dining room, Joanna drifts elsewhere. Not so much a man, this newcomer, as the relic of what has been a good one. It is the most he would ever claim for himself. Sometimes, brandy in hand, he has visions of the willed earth he used to be. Clear of eye, sees him but a field away, singing at his easel, or, fishing rod in hand, leaping a stile. Our will stares after the fellow for quite a long time so long that the two melt into the one who finishes lob's brandy he is scarcely intoxicated as he appears before the lady of his choice but he is shaky and has watery eyes alice has had a rather wild love for this man or for that other one and he for her but somehow it has gone whistling down the wind we may expect therefore to see them at their worst when in each other's company. Dearth, who is not without a humorous outlook on his own degradation. I am uncommonly flattered, Alice, to hear that you have sent for me. It quite takes me aback. Alice, with cold distaste. It isn't your company I want, Will. You know, I felt that... Purdy must have delivered your message wrongly. 
I want you to come with us on this mysterious walk and keep an eye on Lob. On poor little Lob? Oh, surely not. I can't make the man out. I want you to tell me something. When he invited us here, do you think it was you or me he specially wanted? Oh, you. He made no bones about it. Said there was something about you that made him want uncommonly to have you down here. Will, try to remember this. Did he ask us for any particular time? Yes. He was particular about it being midsummer week. Ah, I thought so. Did he say what it was about me that made him want to have me here in midsummer week? No, but I presumed it must be your fascination, Alice. Just so. Well, I want you to come out with us tonight to watch him. Crack in my eye, Tommy, spy on my host. Such a harmless little chap, too. Excuse me, Alice. Besides, I have an engagement. An engagement? With the port decanter, I presume. A good guess, but wrong. The decanter is now but an empty shell. Still, how you know me. My engagement is with a quiet cigar in the garden. Your hand is so unsteady you won't be able to light the match. Well, I shall just manage. He triumphantly proves the exact truth of his statement. A nice hand for an artist. One would scarcely call me an artist nowadays. Not so far as any work is concerned. Not so far as having any more pretty dreams to paint is concerned. Grinning at himself. Wonder why I've become such a waster, Alice? I suppose it was always in you. Dearth, with perhaps a glimpse of the fishing rod. I suppose so. And yet I was a rather good sort in the days when I went courting you. Yes, I thought so. Unlucky days for me, as it has turned out. Dearth, heartily. Yes. A bad job for you. Puzzling unsteadily over himself. I didn't know I was a wrong un at the time. Thought quite well of myself. Thought a vast deal more of you. Crack in my eye, Tommy, how I used to leap out of bed at 6am, all agog to be at my easel. Blood ran through my veins in those days. And now I'm middle-aged and done for. Funny. Don't know how it's come about, nor what has made the music mute. Mildly curious. When did you begin to despise me, Alice? When I got to know you really, Will, a long time ago. Dearth, bleary of eye. Yes, I think that is true. It was a long time ago, and before I'd begun to despise myself. It wasn't till I knew you had no opinion of me that I began to go downhill. You will grant that, won't you? And that I did try for a bit to fight on? If you had cared for me, I wouldn't have come to this, surely. Well, I found I didn't care for you, and I wasn't hypocrite enough to pretend I did. That's blunt, 
but you used to admire my bluntness. The bluntness of you, the adorable wildness of you, you untamed thing. There were never any shades in you. Kiss or kill was your motto, Alice. I felt from the first moment I saw you that you would love me or knife me. Memories of their shooting star flare in both of them, for as long as a sheet of paper might take to burn. I didn't knife you. No, I suppose that was where you made the mistake. It's hard on you, old lady. Becoming watery. I suppose it's too late to try and patch things up. Let's be honest, it is too late, Will. Dearth, whose tears would smell of brandy, sighs in a thought barely spoken. Perhaps if we had had children. Pity. A blessing, I should think, seeing what sort of father they would have had. Dearth, ever reasonable. I dare say you're right. Well, Alice, I know that somehow it's my fault. I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for myself. If I hadn't married you, what a different woman I should be. What a fool I was. Ah, three things they say come not back to men or women. The spoken word, the past life, and the neglected opportunity. Wonder if we should make any more of them, Alice, if they did come back to us. You wouldn't. Dearth. Avoiding a hiccup. I guess you're right. But I... Dearth, sincerely. Yes, what a boon for you. But I hope it's not Freddy Finch Fallows you would put in my place. I know he's following you about again. He is far from threatening her. He has too beery an opinion of himself for that. He followed me about, as you put it, before I knew you. I don't know why I quarrelled with him. Your heart told you that he was no good, Alice. My heart told me that you were, so it wasn't of much service to me, my heart. The Honourable Freddy Finch Fallow is a rotter. Alice, ever inflammable. You are certainly an authority on the subject. Dearth with the sad smile of the disillusioned. You have me there. After which brief but pleasant little connubial chat, he pursued his dishonoured way into the garden. He is, however, prevented doing so for the moment by the return of the others. They are all still in their dinner clothes, though wearing wraps. They crowd in through the door, chattering. Here they are. Are you ready, dear lady? Mrs. Code, seeing that Dearth's hand is on the window curtains. Are you not coming with us to find the wood, Mr. Dearth? Alas, I am unavoidably detained. You will find me in the garden when you come back. Joanna, whose sense of humour has been restored. If we ever do come back... Precisely. With a groggy bow. Should we never meet again, Alice, fare thee well. 
Purdy, if you find the tree of knowledge in the wood, bring me back an apple. I promise. Come quickly, Mary mustn't see me. He is turning out the lights. Lady Carolyn, pouncing. Matey, what difference would that make, Lob? He would take me off to bed. It's past my time. Code, not the least gay of the company. You know, old fellow, you make it very difficult for us to embark upon this adventure in the proper eerie spirit. Well, I'm for the garden. He walks to the window, and the others are going out by the door. But they do not go. There is a hitch somewhere. At the window, apparently. For Durth, having begun to draw the curtains apart, lets them fall, like one who has had a shock. The others remember long afterwards his grave face as he came quietly back and put his cigar on the table. The room is in darkness, save for the light from one lamp. Purdy, wondering. How? Now? Dearth? What is it we get in that wood lob? Ah, uh, he won't tell us that. Lob, shrinking. Come on. Alice, impressed by the change that has come over her husband. Tell us first. Lob, forced to the disclosure. They say that in the wood you get what nearly everybody here is longing for. A second chance. The ladies are simultaneously enlightened. Joanna, speaking for all. So that is what we have in common. Code, with gentle regret. I have often thought, Cody, that if I had a second chance, I should be a useful man, instead of just a nice lazy one. Alice, morosely. A second chance. Come on. Purdy, gaily. Yes, to the wood, the wood. Dearth, as they are going out by the door. Stop! Why not go this way? He pulls the curtains apart, and there comes a sudden indrawing of breath from all. For no garden is there now. In its place, is an endless wood of great trees. The nearest of them has come close to the window. It is a sombre wood, with splashes of moonshine and of blackness standing very still in it. The party in the drawing-room are very still also. There is scarcely a cry or a movement. It is perhaps strange that the most obviously frightened is Lob who calls vainly for Matey. The first articulate voice is Dearth's. Dearth, very quietly. Anyone ready to risk it? Purdy, after another silence. Of course there is nothing in it. Just... Dearth, grimly. Of course. Going out, Purdy? Purdy draws back. Mrs. Dearth, the only one who is undaunted. A second chance. 
She is looking at her husband. They all look at him, as if he had been a leader once. Dearth, with his sweet, mournful smile. I shall be back in a moment, probably. As he passes into the wood, his hands rise, as if a hammer had tapped him on the forehead. He is soon lost to view. Lady Carolyn, after a long pause. He does not come back. It's horrible. She steals off by the door to her room, calling to her husband to do likewise. He takes a step after her, and stops in the grip of the two words that holds them all. The stillness continues. At last, Mrs. Purdy goes out into the wood, her hands raised, and is swallowed up by it. Mabel! Alice, sardonically. You will have to go now, Mr. Purdy. He looks at Joanna, and they go out together, one tap of the hammer for each. That's enough. Warningly. Don't you go, Mrs. Dareth. You'll catch it if you go. A second chance. She goes out, unflinching. <laughs> One would like to know. She goes out. Mrs. Code's voice is heard from the stair, calling to her husband. Cody! He hesitates, but follows Lady Carolyn. To Lob, now alone, comes Matey with a tray of coffee cups. Matey, as he places his tray on the table. It is past your bedtime, sir. Say good night to the ladies and come along. Matey, look. Matey looks. Matey, shrinking. Great heavens, then it's true. Yes, but I, I wasn't sure. Matey approaches the window cautiously to peer out, and his master gives him a sudden push that propels him into the wood. Lob's back is toward us as he stands alone, staring out upon the unknown. He is terrified still, yet quivers of rapture are running up and down his little frame. End of Act One, Part Two